This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The Honor, Importance, and Beauty of Titles, a discourse by Plenio Correa de Oliveira. We Americans usually don't think much of titles. In fact, this disdain was written into our Constitution, where Article 1, Section 9, Clause 9 states, No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States. Not only that, but any government official must get permission of Congress before accepting one from a foreign king. So we tend to turn a deaf ear to titles like Marquis, Duke, or Knight. We have a few titles for current and former office holders. We allow medical doctors and members of the clergy to put doctor or reverend in front of their names. Other than that, it is just plain Mr., Mrs., or Miss, and even those become less common every day. The founder of TFP, Professor Plenio Correa de Oliveira, thought that this tendency was very unfortunate. In his mind, titles separated those who provided exceptional service to their nations and God, together with their descendants, from the rest of the human herd. He believed that such separations, or hierarchies, were essential to the proper order of society. Additionally, such titles spoke to the beauty and culture of the nations that those noblemen and women represented. In today's podcast, Professor Plenio explains what that means. It was part of a talk that he gave in 1977. It was translated and published in the November 2023 St. Gabriel Bulletin, which is mailed monthly to TFP supporters. Today we have two items to comment upon. The first is a letter from Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent to King Francis I of France. It begins, To you, Francis, King of France, greetings. Then we have a letter from Dom Henrique, founder of the Sagres School of Navigation, to Mohammed II on behalf of the King of Portugal. The latter did not write, but had a prince of his household do it. You have likely heard about the Portuguese navigation cycle, which began at the famous Sagres Navy School and set in motion all the Portuguese conquests worldwide. His letter begins, I, Infante Don Henrique, ruler and governor of the Order of Chivalry of our Lord Jesus Christ, Duke of Viseu, Lord of Kovalha, son of the very high and very excellent King Dom João and Queen Dona Filipa of the Kingdom of Portugal and Algarve, and lords of the fiefdom of Quenta, may God be in their souls. To you, Mafamedi, Emperor of the Turks, I make it known and that I have been notified where I live at the end of the world. Unquote. Sagres is at the tip of Portugal, so it is at the end of the known and civilized world of the time. So, he says, he lived at the end of the world and that the Sultan had moved to take Constantinople and wage war on Christendom. He continues, quote, for this reason, our Lord, the Holy Father, sends the very high, honorable, and powerful king, my lord and nephew, my brother's son, on a crusade against you, a command that he, myself, and his other servants have received with great devotion. Then came the news of your great wickedness, the likes of which our Lord Jesus Christ often punished as he did Sodom and Gomorrah. 
All mankind must abhor your wickedness because it is not human nor bestial, but diabolical. Wherefore, I notify you that I am waging the said crusade against you and will punish you with death because I deem you convicted by God's sentence. I make this known to you so that none of your surviving followers can claim that I put you to death without letting you know in advance. I am sending you two extra copies of this letter, so that if one goes astray, you will have the others to notify you of my stalwart resolution. Unquote. He was sending the Sultan a declaration of war. The person who gave me this biographical note requested an analysis along the lines of the Ambiances, Customs, and Civilization series. It is not an easy comparison to make. The essence of ambiances and customs, as done in Catholicismo, is a comparison through contrasts. Here we only have the opening of Suleiman the Magnificent's letter. It is not easy to compare a complete letter with one that only has the beginning. But I will comment on it and then on Infante Dom Henrique's letter trying to make comparisons along the lines of ambiences and customs. The opening of Suleiman's letter, quote, I, who am the Sultan of Sultans, the Sovereign of Sovereigns, the dispenser of crowns to the monarchs on the face of the earth, a shadow of God on earth, the Sultan and Sovereign Head of the Mediterranean and Black Sea, of Rumelia and Anatolia, of Caramanzia and the land of Ram, of Zucadria, Diyarbakir, Kurdistan, Azerbaijan, Persia, Damascus, Cairo, Aleppo, Mecca and Medina, Jerusalem, all of Arabia, Yemen and many other lands, which my noble forefathers and my glorious ancestors, may God light up their tombs, conquered by the force of their arms, and which my august majesty has made subject to my flaming sword and victorious blade, I, Sultan Suleiman Han, unquote. I think different things could be considered in this listing of titles. The Sultan's list contains something grandiose, a series of domains that succeed one another with names so poetic and sonorous that they make you think of fabulous principalities. His way of speaking reveals such a sense of his greatness that one cannot help feeling a specific emotion. All the more so since, in the final analysis, we are in the age of banality, triviality, and the down-to-earth where nobody remotely employs such titles. They are impressive. On the other hand, one could object that these are pagan titles of a man trying to immoderately brag about himself, his goods, and his situation. While he may have those titles, Christian modesty leads to greater sobriety in showing one's abilities and titles. So, there's something excessive about it, and that excess contains frustration. When an individual procures 20 titles to embellish himself, he thinks that none of them is quite enough. 
It is more or less like a person who goes to a gala party and displays, for example, 20 decorations on both sides of his chest. Another person there displays only the golden fleece, the world's most excellent decoration. Which of the two better presents himself? The one who wears the golden fleece, elegantly dressed in a well-cut black coat and content to wear that unique decoration, or the one decorated like a Christmas tree? Does the sultan's list show insecurity and frustration? That is something we cannot ascertain with just a title. It depends on the letter's content. Those ancient states often did not form a single state, but were several crowns under a single monarch. For example, when declaring war, he had to list them all for a valid declaration. Any monarchy left out would not go to war, resulting in a gap in his war effort. So that complete list of titles cannot always be taken as a manifestation of pretentiousness. Secondly, it is also true that in very rare circumstances, the enumeration of all titles, even if very long, has its reason to exist. There are times when a man must show himself in all his splendor, and so all his titles may have a reason for being. Imagine that the pagan sultan of Turkey wrote some pre-Marco Polo a letter to take to the emperor of China, inviting him to visit. It is understandable that he would use all his titles in a message of this solemnity and importance as if honoring his addressee. He would address the Emperor of China thus, To you, so-and-so, with such-and-such titles, I, so-and-so, to indicate the splendor of the proposed meeting of the two crowned heads. It makes the lights on both sides twinkle in a great glow. In rare, exceptional circumstances, this is according to the natural order of things. This aspect of the question is based on a principle proper to all civilizations. While grand gala and pomp are rare, sometimes they need to exist. And everything that exists must come to light, at least on some extraordinary occasions. Therefore, on great occasions, such a list of titles must be used. There have been potentates that used huge titles on much less exceptional occasions. Then it becomes ridiculous. It would be more or less like a man who wore a top hat indoors and even to eat rice and beans. It is disproportionate and nothing so degrades the pinnacle of pomp as its regular use. Pomp is made for exceptional circumstances, and what is very grandiose sometimes becomes ridiculous in others. The example I gave of a man wearing decorations on both sides of his chest is biased, because it's one thing to fill a letter with titles and another to wear ridiculous decorations even on one's back. It borders on caricature to wear excessive decorations relative to the size of the human chest. I intentionally gave a biased comparison so we can learn to perceive the bias of things and become more prone to distinguish before providing an opinion. 
A man who used all these titles daily would reveal insecurity and frustration and display little self-assurance of his worth. When an individual is filled with titles, that is the sign of self-doubt, more or less like a young man who takes a car and steps on the accelerator to hear the roar of his engine. Evidently, he is feeling like a zero. He fears that he and his car will not cause the sensation he expects, so he makes all that noise. We feel like shouting, You're a nothing! It is a fitting observation. The use of those titles can be praiseworthy depending on the case. Let me now comment on the beauty of some of these names. Some are extinct. Perhaps only specialists know about them. Others are very beautiful names. I will read some of them and make a quick comment. Quote, Shah Sultan Suleiman Khan, son of Selim Khan, ever victorious, unquote. That ever victorious is a bit of a brag. It is a compliment on a personal quality and qualities, in this case, should not be praised even if the father had them. Quote, I, the Sultan of Sultans, Sovereign of Sovereigns, Dispenser of Crowns to the Monarchs on the Face of the Earth, a Shadow of Allah on the Earth, unquote. Indeed, he was the Sultan of Sultans, because he had a massive empire under which he ruled lesser sultans with a feudal-like bond. Therefore, he was the Sultan of Sultans. It is a very beautiful and poetic title. One can imagine many sultanates scattered across Asia, each with its own court, jewels, poetry, and beauty. And he, being the Sultan of Sultans, is almost the quintessence of a sultan's dignity, a synthesis of all sultans. Quote, Dispenser of crowns to the monarchs on the face of the earth. Unquote. Saying monarchs on the face of the earth sounds like runaway pretentiousness, but it's not. It is more or less like our good Infante Dom Henrique saying he lived on the world's edge. In that time of very limited communications, an individual called the world his world and the sultan dispensed crowns throughout the Muslim world, so he was the dispenser of crowns. There is a certain beauty here. Quote, Shadow of Allah on earth, unquote. According to Catholic doctrine, when we represent God, we are God's light on earth. But God's shadow on the earth is poorly cast. A pope can be said to be the light of God in the world. When a pope is a shadow, he is not God's shadow, but someone else's. A god who casts his shadow on the earth is neither a very beautiful nor poetic expression. Such a metaphor would only be used in somewhat extraordinary circumstances. Quote, the sultan and sovereign lord of the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. Unquote. It has a certain beauty the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. I think it has a certain poetry, especially seen in the Oriental mentality. This is less beautiful in a Westerner whose fantasy has less flight. 
Quote, Of Rumelia and Anatolia, of Caramantia and the land of Rum. Unquote. This conveys the impressions of a series of lands so extensive that some are not even aware of their existence. Lands with cultures, monuments, arts, styles, tastes, and cultures, all bathed in that kind of wonderful light of the East, which is different from the objective and positive, which is the glory of the West. Mixed in this enumeration is something of a fairy tale. If you place yourselves in the perspective of a fairy tale, the sounds of names sometimes indicate something about the lands they symbolize. I stop to imagine, more or less at random, what one of these lands, Zucadaria, for example, is like. It is a curious thing to imagine Zucadaria. If I just took the word Zucadaria, I would imagine it as a place with a stunning sea, with a color between green and blue, with waves hitting colossal rocks and throwing light-filled foam high in the air. Nearby is a marble palace where the Sultan of Zucadaria lives. That is how one must feel about the Orient. Even though Zucadaria was not like that, but a horrible desert with three cacti. It is necessary to feel the word Zucadaria like that. Whence comes the beauty of this title? Quote, Which my august majesty has made subject to my flaming sword and victorious blade. Unquote. A cutlass with a hilt all covered with precious stones, which hit, bent, broke, and subjected the enemy. A beautiful war gesture in which the warrior picks up that curved cutlass and cuts off the heads of several and continues galloping in a ray of light. That is part of the poetry of the East. Poetry absent at the Geneva Conference, the UN, or UNESCO. But there is poetry within that, and I am saying this for us to get used to feeling that poetry a bit. Quote, I, Infante Dom Henrique, to you, Mafamede. The Portuguese called Muhammad Mafamede. Mafamede is a deformation of Muhammad, a splendid Catholic insult, rebuking the false religion and the sovereign who supports that false religion. Look how beautiful the name of Jesus Christ sounds, as opposed to the horrible Mafamede, which sounds like a street urchin. Notice the enormous difference between one name and the other, and how smartly they adapted the name to make it sound like an insult. That was the current Portuguese way of talking about these things in a strong and beautiful way. In contrast, quote, Our Lord, the Holy Father, sends the very high, honorable, and powerful King, my Lord and nephew, my brother's son, unquote. Here there is no malice, but respect. He is a mere prince, not a king. A mere prince in the temporal order. He does not govern Portugal. He is a simple Catholic layman in the Holy Catholic Church. Although highly placed and celebrated for his navigations, he loves to sing the glories of those above him. He speaks of his very high, very honorable, very powerful king, my lord and nephew. 
very high, very honorable, very powerful. The Mohammedan does not praise his virtues, but the power and fear he instills. Here, a Catholic does not praise himself, but his nephew, by speaking of his honor. He is an honorable man with all that the word honor contains as a synthesis of virtue in the Catholic mentality of that time. So you have personal value in the order of virtue presented at the corollary of the rest. What beauty! Quote, On a crusade against you, a command that he, myself, and his other servants have taken with great devotion. Unquote. Look how beautiful this is. The Pope has spoken and commanded kings. The King of Portugal received the order with great devotion, and so did Infante Dom Henrique. The Infante writes the Sultan because the King of Portugal does not deign to write directly to an infidel sovereign. What have you recalled how wonderful it would be if the Muslims converted and all that poetry and beauty typical of the East took on a certain composure and measure that shone with the incomparable light of our Lord Jesus Christ? Then we understand how many glories and wonders of history failed to be realized because these lands did not convert. Will they convert in the reign of Mary? Will we have shining lands of beauty like that in the reign of Mary? Or will there be new people and new states? I do not know. The important thing is that there will be new beauties. When the reign of Mary comes, new beauties will appear that will leave all that far behind. The Lumen Mariae is the most generous, active, and perfect aspect of the Lumen Christi. That is what we all should prepare for. This concludes The Honor, Importance, and Beauty of Titles, a discourse by Plenio Correa de Oliveira. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.